What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the Crowd Assist Podcast, The Cap. I am your host, Ryan Thomas, as always, joined by my co-host, Kevin Massari. How's it going, Kevin? Doing well, Ryan. How are you today? Doing good, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this podcast is presented by Trainwreck Sports and sponsored by Picasso's Pizza for the best pizza in Western New York. Order from Picasso's. And we got a really good show for you guys to tune into today. Obviously, we'll be diving into the Buffalo Bills 2020 season schedule. A lot to take away from that schedule. We can call the Buffalo Bills the primetime Buffalo Bills with a lot of primetime action. Hopefully, we will get to see it in 2020 as well as some recent news in regards to Sammy Watkins from Tyler Dunn's Bleach Report article and more. Uh, Larry Warford and, and a few other players that are out there in the free agency market that we will dive into. So, Kevin. How about this 2020 Buffalo Bills schedule? What do you like about it? And uh, what do you not like about it, if anything? Well, it looks like they they started off with two um, division games, which is interesting to me. I can't remember um, getting the Jets and Dolphins out of the way, both one and two. I don't recall if that's one of the first times that's ever happened, but um, it's going to be a difficult time. I always like to see those division teams later in the year when you kind of know what they're about. They've outfaced their injuries, so have you. Um, I always think playing – the teams you play in the beginning have a better advantage to, to catch the better teams, quote-unquote, off guard. So usually if you want to play people in the early, it's usually better teams. Um, well, even like last year, the Bills struggled against in, the, in week one against the Jets, barely winning that, and the Jets were a train wreck. Um, no pun intended for um, the majority of the season. Uh, lost Darnold for a little bit. They, they were a mess. But the week one, they looked okay. They looked very good defensively. Um, solid and solid game for them um, where they just kind of lost it in the fourth quarter. Um, but I don't love playing the – I like playing the Dolphins early because I think that's going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick and or Tua, early, early career Tua. Um, so, so I think that the Bills have to come out of that 2-0 to start this whole thing off. I mean, we're predicting – a lot of people are saying 12 wins, Ryan, out of the schedule, and I think that that's challenging because you're saying – that pretty much is saying you're going to go 6-0 and in the division, something they've never done. Um, so I right. think that that's tough to assume, that they're not going to drop to the, the Jets or the Dolphins at least once in those four games. I think it's a tough assumption. Even if they can clear those four, now you're saying you're going to also beat the, uh, the Patriots twice, something that you've never done. Um, in recent history, I, on top of winning the other four division games, uh, it's, it's a unique place where all three teams are beatable. Um, it's never really been that way. You know, the Dolphins were good at their stretch. The Jets have been good and bad, um, but the Patriots have been good really since 2000. Um, so to say that they're going to go and win th- uh, six games, home and road, that's challenging for me to see that they're going to be better than four and two, five and one if it does go their way. So right there, you have to predict like a five and one stretch. And then, you know, you have the tough West opponents. The Bills have the fifth hardest strength of schedule having to play the, the West of the AFC and the NFC. You only have to go on the road, I think, to the West Coast, I think eight games over a five-year stretch, and the Bills have a, a majority of them in this year alone. Um, so I think that that's going to be a challenge for them to just assume that they're going to go and take care of every game on the road, which they were pretty good on the road last year, um, at times better than at home. So it's going to be a difficult stretch. I mean, you have the Rams and the Raiders right there in the early portion of the stretch. Um, I think if any games get canceled, I think that they were thinking, let's have some of the division games get canceled because 
Um, they already, they, you get to play them again. So I'm assuming that's maybe why you saw division division. I don't know. Right. Um, because you'll get to see them again, Ryan. So I think it's a tough stretch between the schedule. I think they're in prime position. I think there's some winnable games early in the year. I think they could even look at, you know, kind of we'll, we'll go there. I think they could be um, maybe five and one, six and two um, com- coming into the, the, the second half of the schedule. So that's where things are going to get challenging kind of like this year. But uh, it's, a, it's, 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 it's a tough schedule with the names on it right now. It is. And, you know, you can't let optimism uh, outweigh common sense. And as, as optimistic as I am about this team and, and, the, pro- and the progress that they've made uh, over the last few years under McBean, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, uh, there are some tough weeks. I mean, there is the traveling you know, to the Las Vegas Raiders and then you travel to Nashville and then you have the Chiefs on Thursday Night Football, albeit at home only for them to go to East Weatherford, New Jersey to play the Jets the next week. There's, there's a lot of travel within this, within this season. That's what I see on the schedule, at least uh, in those consecutive, you know, weeks four to, to week seven. Uh, three actually out of the first five games are away right. games with the away game against Miami and the away game against the Raiders and the Titans. But um, I like the fact that week one, they do go up against the Jets. I feel like the, the measuring stick, between the Bills, obviously the Bills are, I would say, more than a little bit ahead of the Jets in terms of the rebuild, but that's a real crucial week one game to get out of the way for Buffalo if they were to host the Jets, which they are in this case week one, and, and come away with a win. Uh, that, that's a real big win to start your season if they're able to pull that off. And then moving to Miami week two, I like the fact that they're actually playing Miami in week two because – you know, you know it as well as I do. You could turn on a Miami Dolphins game these last few years. You see them tarping off the top sections of the stadium, and you know the Bills Mafia is well-traveled, especially in Miami. There's a lot of Bills Mafia members down there. So uh, I always look forward to seeing how many Bills fans travel from either Western New York or all around the country to Miami to uh, cheer on the Bills against the our travel Miami Dolphins. And then, you know, that – NFC West, um, you know, the Rams, the Cardinals, the 49ers, the Seahawks, that's a tough, that's a tough division. You know, I, I couldn't even really take my pick with full confidence as to who will win that division uh, in 2020. I feel like, you know, there, there, there's some teams that are a little bit further behind than others, but that's a division where if the Seahawks won the division, even if the Cardinals won that division with DeAndre Hopkins in the building now, um, nothing would shock me in that division. It's just one of those weird divisions that is just always pretty versatile every single year. So right. um, I, I look at that and I say, that'll be, that'll be an uphill climb. Um, and you do have opponents within the AFC that are really trying to vie for, for that seventh playoff spot. You know, the Steelers, the, the Broncos, um, the Patriots, post Tom Brady, Tennessee, the Raiders, a lot of really crucial AFC matchups uh, that will dictate how the seven playoff team standing looks come season's end. Right. And that's a really tough finish. Like, like I said, I think they could get off to a good start, but then you're talking about at Arizona. Um, you could consider, I can't consider that easy. Like I got to consider that a right. tough game. Just like when people of old used to see the bills, you know, maybe at Buffalo on their calendar and like, Oh, that's a free win. Um, and, you know, maybe if you're the New Orleans Saints of the world and you have Elvin Kamara and uh, Ingram, you can come in and run for a million yards and 
um, on a rebuilding Bills team. But now, like if you see at Buffalo, that's that's not that's that's a super tough game. And I think the same thing here can be said at at Arizona with how good that offense is. Then you're home against the Chargers, who've always given the Bills problems at home, mainly Phillip Rivers, but um, Tyrod Taylor, uh, Justin Herbert. That's we'll see what happens there. Um, but their defense is very good and, and do have some good weapons there. Can't just great front seven too. Yeah, great can't just say seven. it's a free yeah. win. Either of those two games. Um, I mean, getting out of that one and one is what you're normally what you're pushing for. But a team of this stature, like the Bills, are trying to be two and zero in that stretch. And then you have at San Francisco um, on Monday Night Football. Um, you got the Steelers coming in. You know, with Big Ben, never easy to beat Big Ben. The team's completely different when he's not playing um, offensively, at least and a really good defense at Denver, really good defense again at New England, a really good defense. So you're going to a stretch of um, Chargers, good defense, 49ers, good defense, Steelers, good defense, Broncos, good defense, Patriots, good defense. Um, Good defenses give the Bills trouble. It's not those necessarily the highest power offenses that, that beat the Bills all the time. Um, it's, it's those, those really good defenses can really give, give Josh Allen some fits and then versus Miami, which is pretty much at home one on Jan, Jan 3rd, which is a must win. Um, but that, that, that is a challenging schedule to get out of that, you know, in those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games to get out of that four and three. I mean, you're already kind of reaching your quota to 12 and four. So, um, right. I more mm-hmm. believe it's an 11 and five on a positive note and 10 and yep. six. Um, a, a, a good 10 and six though. I mean, this is a much better schedule than they, they're 10 and six last year. Um, this is, this is a challenging 10 and six. This is a battle tested 10 and six. This is not an embarrassing 10 and six if that was to happen. Um, but 11 and five has got to be the number, the division and the home game in the playoffs, Ryan, um, bearing any yep. schedulation canceling of those early games or that I think there's two proposals where they could cancel some of those early games or they could push it all back another month. Um, so, right. We'll see what happens. And, I think they'll be more likely to cancel games. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I would say so. And I mean, to what you were saying a, li- a little bit earlier about, in fact, they started the, the early facets of the season with the Jets and the Miami Dolphins. They, they, they can push those, you know, they cancel those and reschedule those games uh, due to the fact that they play them again, you know, their divisional opponent. So I like that uh, for the purposes of this crazy world that we're living in currently, but I also, you know, look at the schedule and I, I do say that although they're playing three away games within their first five weeks, I do like their chances here out of the gate um, against the Raiders, against the Rams. Uh, I think the toughest matchup in the first five weeks of their schedule is actually the Tennessee Titans, who they had a real close game with last year and, and they're arguably better last year with the full year of Tannehill. Maybe that'll help them. Um, you know, they made that switch from Mariota to Tannehill last year and maybe with a full, you know, off season of him, um, you know, knowing that he's the guy, uh, for them temporarily, I think that'll help them. But, um, you know, the Jets, I I think they can start this season five and oh against the Jets, the Dolphins, the Rams, Raiders and Titans. And then that Chiefs game on Thursday night football, that's the game that, you know, for, for fandom, I would love to go to that game. That's the one that I have starred as a potential game that I'll go to. Uh, it's the defending Super Bowl champs. It's the most exciting team in the National Football League against one of the up-and-coming exciting teams that the National Football League has to offer. And I think it's going to be a really good matchup. I like how Buffalo actually matches up with Kansas City. 
Uh, I do think that'll be their first loss of the season. Um, but I like how they match up with Kansas City. I liked how they matched up with Kansas City last year and hoped that if Buffalo got past Houston, that they would have played Kansas City just to see what would have happened. Uh, we, we can only wonder last year, but we won't have to wonder for long week six, they play Kansas City. Yeah, and I mean, oh, what a challenging go at it. I don't think it's a particularly easy schedule to sit here and say they're going to be 12-4. and four. If, if it was an easy schedule, and it's tough to say 100% what's easy and what's hard, you know, the next thing you know, the, the AFC West is really bad for some reason, or, you know, the NFC West takes this big step back. When a lot of people said last year, even the Bills had the Cowboys, the Eagles, you know, right. potentially the Giants and Redskins, but the Giants and Redskins weren't going to be good. Um, the, the Eagles weren't good, but they still beat the Bills, and the Cowboys were probably the only team of the four that really did um, really take that step back. And, and this year, I mean, really, the Bills are hoping that some of those NFC West teams take a step back. Seattle's not as good as they normally are, or the Rams fully bomb, and and um, a couple of other, you know, they, they're really just not going to be that dominant team. Arizona, it's tough to say they're going to be worse, they're going to be better. I can't see them being worse. Um, so. Right. I think it's a tough swap out from that potentially bad uh, NFC East, you know, to getting to the, to me that I, I think the NFC West is as solid as it could possibly be. Um, so right. I, it's, it's going to be tough to say they're going to be better than two and two there. Like it really is. Like I can't wrap my head around saying they're going to beat the Seahawks. They're going to beat the Rams. They're going to beat the Cardinals. I just, I, and then the 49ers, the super, you know, the, the defending Super Bowl, uh, the defending NFC champions. So I, I just, I, I don't, I don't see it. Like I just, I don't see it to, to be better than two and two. So two and two is fine though. So I think it, but it does right. equal, it does equal a 10 and six schedule at this point. We'll see what happens in August when we revisit this though. From a fan perspective, looking at the schedule, I mean, it, wins and losses aside and, and looking at who they're playing and trying to figure out whether we think they could win or, or whether they they'll lose I mean, looking at the schedule, the schedule makers of the National Football League said to themselves, we're going to give Buffalo some shine here. they got a young right. quarterback that's only getting better. They have a, a coach that uh, is universally well-liked amongst everybody in the league and is respected for what he has done since he was hired by the Bills. And that defense is exciting as well. you get got guys that uh, are Pro Bowl caliber players, of Trey White and Schman Edmonds looking to take that next big step heading into year three. So four primetime games. Uh, two home, two away, and maybe subject to flex is that week 15 week against Denver where Buffalo could play a primetime game on a Saturday night with the you know week before Christmas like they did uh, with the uh, sure. Steelers. Um, so th that'll be very interesting to see what takes place there. But what was your take on just the fact that Buffalo seems to be getting the exposure that they haven't had in, in quite some time? I've always said that, that I think, or at least I believe, the primetime games are at least a bit better, not Thursday night football, but Sunday night and maybe Monday night, are generally looking for the best quarterback play they can get because there's nothing – doesn't matter if the defense ends up not being good or whatever. The thing that they can bank on is if, uh, you know, Russell Wilson's playing in that game, then he's going to be good. The team's at least going to be competitive in that position. So I think – what that says to me about the Bills is that they believe that Josh Allen's in the top 10, um, top 12 uh, NFL quarterbacks because they're basically saying if the Bills defense isn't as good as they're supposed to be and they get injuries or D Diggs is hurt and all the stuff, we can bank on Josh Allen based on his past results 
at least playing winning or competitive football. So I think that that's interesting to me because if they didn't like Josh Allen, the schedule makers or the league, um, they didn't like the turnout that Buffalo has on their primetime games. There's no way they're going to get these type of games because basically they're saying a couple injuries mixed with a bad Josh Allen equals really bad games for us in prime time. So they're basically saying to me, Ryan, that they like Josh Allen. They think he's going to at least be in the top 12, um, you know, borderline top 10. I think that's about where I would have Josh Allen in my quarterback rankings and fantasy rankings, whatever it is. People watch these games for fantasy. You can laugh at that, but they do. No one's going to turn. Oh, they do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they do. definitely do. You can yeah. laugh at it, but no one's turning on the, even the Bill Steelers game on, 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 right. football on December 13th to just watch Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, they're turning that game on because either it has playoff implications for their team, or if not the rest of the teams watching it for fantasy football, especially fantasy playoffs. So you're, you're right. expecting Josh Allen and his weapons to play Ben and his weapons. And you're banking on that being a good game with two good defenses. So. I think right. it's a foolproof right. model. You get a Monday night game in New England um, a couple of weeks later. Um, you know, it's followed up by the – I mean, what are they, three out of four weeks they're on primetime? Um, so out of their four games, yeah, aren't three of them right there? Um, yeah, there, there's the uh, – well, there's the week six game Thursday night football uh, against Kansas City, and then they have the Monday night football game against San Fran. And Not until week 13, right. Right. Week 13, yeah. And then uh, the Steelers on Sunday Night Football the week after that. And then uh, the Steelers uh, the week after the Broncos game, which that potentially they could have four straight weeks of primetime action from weeks 13 to 16, which that's like the the real um, crucial moments of every single NFL season where the playoff teams are seen and the, the teams that aren't truly playoff caliber. Uh, are on the outside looking in. So, yeah, I mean, I, I look at it the same way as you. I think that – I think two things, you know, to echo your sentiments about Josh Allen, they believe that that Allen is an exciting player in general. And when they have played on primetime uh, with Dallas, against Dallas on Thanksgiving, it was one of the highest-rated Thanksgiving Day games in, in a long time. Right. Uh, and when they played the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, on primetime as well, Josh Allen showed up and, and had a pretty solid game. It was a slow paced game at the start, but he sure finished it. And the uh, Patriots game last season, uh, they just replayed that game on NFL Network, and uh, Allen made some really big plays in that game. So, you know, they look at Allen as an exciting player, and obviously a marquee wide receiver was brought on to this team in Stephon Diggs. So the NFL powers that be look at that and say, you have an exciting quarterback, you have a dynamic receiver brought into the building, and you have a young up and coming team and a defense that is always fun to, to tune into. And, and for fantasy purposes, um, you know, that throws a, a new wrinkle to it as well. Um, I would highly expect Buffalo to be considered a, a fantasy uh, worthy team to look at just based on the weapons that they have on offense. And one of the better fantasy defenses in the league since uh, Sean, Sean McDermott took over. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you have, a schedule where in the first 12 weeks, it's normal, right? I mean, it's not normal ebbs and flows, nothing like that dramatic. You have a Thursday night game against KC, but if it wasn't for that, the schedule would be usual, normal Buffalo schedule. Even a Thursday night game is not that wild. You got the Bills and the Chiefs and they said, you know what? These could be two teams competing for at least 
the top six at some point um, this season. So we're going to put that on Thursday night. But other than that, it's a bunch of one o'clock games and a four o'clock game against the Raiders, which is their time zone being one o'clock. So um, it's in terms of playing time, it's all one o'clock games, except for that Kansas city game until week there. So until week 13 is where it gets nuts. Like we just said, three out of four primetime games, possibly four, if they flex that Denver game to, to Saturday night, or like they did the Patriots game. So they can do whatever they want with that game. Predicting Denver could be good um, as well. And then that Miami game to end the season, if there's any playoff implications, even if Miami's average, that game will be prime time too. Um, So maybe the Bills have it locked up, but maybe they don't, Ryan. Maybe they need that game um, just due to the fact of how hard their schedule was. They need that game. They're nine and five at that point. They need it. Uh, or nine and six at that point, they need it to go to 10 and six um, to clinch the division. Maybe it's not for just the wild card spot at that point. They need that, that division win to clinch up against whoever it is that would be up there with them. And maybe, and if any chance that Tua is really good or the Dolphins are good, that game's absolutely getting flexed. So you could have right. five games in a row, um, 13 to 17, where it's flexed, or maybe, maybe the Miami game isn't and they're terrible and the Bills have stuff locked up. Um, but you have a chance to have five straight games. And if LA was any good a week 12, which I don't know that they're going to be, that could, that could have been another game, AFC game late in the year, late November, um, that they could have flexed into as well with a, with a Chargers Bills game. And if the Chargers are good, that right. defense is good. Tyrod Taylor or Herbert is good. I'm not, not many people expected Allen to be good. Um, so Herbert's kind of that guy this year. Um, I, I like Herbert a lot, actually. I, I, I think if, if you're, you know, the Chargers, and obviously this isn't a Chargers podcast, but if you're the Chargers, I, I would say you you start them. I feel like the situation I'd for be Herbert interested. Yeah. with the yeah with the Chargers is way better than it is for Tua in Miami, um, where you know we talked about it previously throwing Tua to the wolves at this point with right. with the uh, offensive line that Miami has, and really just a lot of uncertainty at the skill positions, uh, wide receiver, and just kind of a hodgepodge group of guys, but. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, you look at that Denver game week 15, as of now, it's listed as December 19th, which is a Saturday at 430. So that that will definitely change uh, if, if Buffalo is, is really in, uh, you know, in terms of entertainment value, one of those teams that's really bringing uh, the masses to, to the primetime scene. Uh, and in Denver, I mean, with that extra playoff spot, Who's to say that Denver, who had a really good offseason, adding a lot of really good pieces on offense for Drew Locke, um, that could end up being a primetime game uh, for sure. So it's really cool. I think it's awesome to see Buffalo be uh, respected in this way. It's, it's, it's a very weird feeling, to be honest. It, it almost feels like an like a out-of-body experience to look at the schedule and see all these primetime games. It, it just shows you that uh, – People are starting to think that Buffalo is legit, but with that comes a lot of pressure, and with that comes the the expectations that they have to meet. And I think, you know, twelve and four—that's that's really I, I I would love it. You know, don't get me wrong, but I think that's a little bit uh, overzealous. I, I could say ten and six or eleven and five, and I think eleven and five is the record they need to win this AFC East. I know. Tom Brady is, is out of the division, but the Patriots defense, I think, actually got better post the draft with a lot of the additions that they made. Um, and that defense was really good last year. And you, you never know with, with the Jets. You, know, you never know how close they are in terms of 
uh, bridging the gap between themselves and the Bills. And Miami's got this big youth movement. Who, who, who's to say? You know, as you said, um, the NFC West could be terrible. Or the AFC West could be terrible. So we look at these things and we try to predict how the Bills will win these games and, and what they'll do. And there's, there's no guarantees anything is possible. Right. Yeah. I mean, New England, that's just offense is just, I mean, it's just offense is bad. It's just not good. It's just not good. The defense is probably equal, at least we'll call it at least equal to where it was, which caused the Bills problems. Tom Brady didn't necessarily beat the Bills. Um, He just does enough. Can Jared Stidham do enough? Maybe. Can Brian Hoyer do enough? Will Cam Newton suit up there in August? I think all of those are questions that we can address in a couple of months. And um, it'll be interesting down the stretch, though. I mean, it'll be interesting with those three out of four, possibly four out of four straight weeks and the games that they're competing with to have that fourth primetime game. Panthers-Packers, I don't know. I don't think that has a shot to be good. I think the Panthers suck. Um, Texans-Colts, right. possibly a good game. Uh, we'll have to see about that, but that should be flexed. Uh, one of the three flexed games. Rams-Jets, I don't like either of those teams. I don't think that has a shot to be very yeah. good. Titans-Lions, I don't I don't see it, Ryan. No. Yeah. I don't see <laughs> right. it. Um, and then, you know, the Bills, I mean, the Bills game. I think the Bills game is probably Bills-Denver's second best of the list. Um, so they're, that's yeah. probably why they predicted that 4 o'clock slot, which is the second best game, and then the night game would go to, at this stage, the Colts-Texans. But those games could flip-flop in another night Saturday game. Or it stays at 4 o'clock, which is still a primetime game um, on the Saturday right. schedule. Um, or maybe it just barely sneaks in and is a 1 o'clock game on Saturday. Still would be primetime, the only game on. But I still right. think it's a lock to be in those top three unless Denver's really bad, which they have Drew Locke. I mean, they could have a challenging year, but similar to right. kind of like Allen was last year, I do think Denver's at least going to be uh, competitive unless Locke is just completely bad. But he played really well to finish the year against some bad teams, though. Um, so yeah. we're going to see. But I do think that that has a chance to be the second or third best game of those options and to be the fourth primetime game, as well as possibly a fifth in a row if either L.A. or Miami are good. Um, so we'll see what happens, but that's a lot of primetime games after a week, 12 weeks of, of normal Bills-like schedule, and then, then, then the last five could be really, really, really interesting. So um, great. I mean, I, I think it's best for us to revisit this thing in middle of August, late August, um, sure. as injuries happen, as we know the schedule is going to exist or get pushed back. But I think that that's a, it's a really good early season breakdown. And as you mentioned, you know, we're, we're in May here, you know, and, and there's a lot of players out there that, you know, haven't been picked up and, and Cam Newton is one of them. Who's to say that Cam Newton isn't the quarterback of the Patriots or maybe the quarterback of the, uh, of the Titans or, or something like that. I mean, who, sure. who knows? At First point, injury? First injury, if Big Ben gets hurt, maybe Pittsburgh scoops him up. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios that, that could take place that uh, would throw a wrench in, in predicting these games uh, and would change the layout of how these games are viewed. And you know, I think, you know, at this point in the season, we kind of shift gears here from the schedule and look at what players out there are, are desirable uh, for Buffalo and what players make sense as far as adding competition to the team and hoping that there is some normalcy this off season where we do get OTAs and a training camp. I don't know if we will, but um, obviously the, the saints made a decision to cut Larry Warford. And that was a name that jumped out at me right away. Uh, I believe it jumped out to you as well. Um, I feel like he'd be a very welcomed addition to the bills offensive line and somebody that uh, would provide really good competition 
for the players that Buffalo currently has, kind of an iron sharpens iron mentality. Uh, what's your take on possibly the Bills kicking the tires on Larry Warford? And uh, what do you think of Larry Warford as a player? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think he's a rock-solid football player. He said to want $7 million. I was pretty vocal about him uh, this week after his cutting and after his projected price point. I mean, Ryan, it's $4 million more than Spencer Long. Yeah, that's not free. That's not a free contract. But for a team competing to be in this 12-4 and four or division or top four, top six, whatever you want to say, um, could he come in and be an instant upgrade for the Bills at right guard? I think he can be. I think he can be a really big piece, top 10 guard by PFF. And I know not everyone loves PFF. Um, if you have a better way to analyze offensive line play, I'll gladly will look at your stats and talk about them on my show. Um, but at this point, they are one of the best to look at offensive line play. And I'll watch tape of him too. Um, he has struggled at times. He struggled in the playoff game against Minnesota, but one person that also struggled in their playoff game was Quentin Spain, a guy that was really good all regular season and just was not good against Houston. Um, was part of the reason right. they struggled at times. Um, the offensive line was good throughout portions and stretches of the year last year. Uh, they struggled in that playoff. Um, um, they struggled at that playoff game for sure. Uh, on the offensive line side. So adding Warford's a huge note, top 10 guard comes in instantly on a one year, $7 million deal projected. Um, you cut Spencer long, you pay an extra 4 million. Um, I've had some comments. Well, you know, let's use that on extensions. Well, I don't know how far one year for $4 million is going to get you on these big time extensions. The bills are already freeing up money for those, those type of things. Um, in future years. And that's not going to be what stops them from getting an extension done. If they're not going to be able to afford Matt Milano, they're not going to be able to afford Matt Milano. It's not going to have to do with the one for four extra over Spencer Long. You push Feliciano into the top reserve sixth offensive line role. He played some center. He can back up all three spots on the, on the offensive line. Ty and Saki would back up the tackle spots. And Daryl Williams could back up all the other spots as well. He played them all in Carolina pretty much, but center. Um, so now you have three just rock solid guys that in any other year are starting for teams and would start on a bad Bills line that they've had in years past. Um, those are three rock solid names and they can still keep a depth guy like a Bates um, or Butker um, or whoever it is that they'd want um, with the, with, if they wanted to keep nine, but that's just a, such a rock solid starting eight. The difference between Spencer Long and Warford is well worth uh, the $4 million to be an upgrade because Feliciano would then be your top reserve. If any injury happened, everyone would be comfortable with him coming in, which isn't always the case. Um, then you still have Ty and Saki and Daryl Williams back there. Um, and then, you know, Trey Adams or their premium undrafted free agent still can compete for this thing. If he can beat out Bates or Butker, um, and you even have Evan Bowman, another versatile guy that got a ton of starts in Miami. Um, I mean, some of these names are names that would have started on previous O-lines for the Bills. Right. Now we're talking about cutting them. Um, but the, that depth, that depth three, it doesn't get much better than that. You can't just have, um, you know, the the top end Mitch Morses behind your starters. I like to always make sure people understand that about depth, Ryan. That the, for depth, those are three starters that you have on your depth. Yeah, are they top end starters? No, but that's why they're depth. Um, right. Those are guys that can stop, step in. And how much worse is Feliciano than Spain? I don't know, a little bit, but not, not a ton. Um, but I do mm -hmm. think the difference between Long and Warford is huge. It's just 
protect your assets, protect your, protect your guys, Josh Allen, Devin Singletary, um, and Zach Moss, protect these guys and get him a guard. Warford's an amazing beast of a running blocking guard struggles a little bit with his movement. Um, but he's still a top 10 guard. Like you can pick point, you can pick apart Feliciano or Spain if you want to, um, you could pick, pick apart pretty much any, any guard that's not in the top five. Um, so yeah, adding one year to this playoff run, top 10 guy, the upgrade from long would be big. Three depth players on the line, still about a lot of young talent behind them in Bates and Butker and Trey Adams. I think it's a no-brainer. I don't think that the $4 million difference between the two players of cap space, um, and it should, should, should even be a question. If Warford will play here one for seven and you can cut long for it, it's as much of a no-brainer as people are trying to make Trent Murphy. So this, that, that's how I feel right. about this thing. Um, I, hope, yeah. I, I think you agree. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I look at, you know, year one of their offensive line under Josh Allen, it was a sieve. Uh, year two, a little bit better. I, I'd say a, a very big improvement, but that's more looking at it comparatively. Year two, this offensive line this past season to year one, it was a, a vast improvement. but that's not necessarily saying that the year two offensive line is, is fully a finished product and that they shouldn't uh, look to improve along all positions on that offensive line. I mean, there's, there's room for improvement uh, everywhere on this roster to make this roster close the gap between themselves and, and winning the AFC East title. I mean, this team hasn't won the AFC East since 1995, hasn't won a playoff game since 1995. Right. And, you know, it's not the current team's fault that that's the case. No. Uh, but in a way, you know, last year they had a 16 nothing lead against the Houston Texans. And you took the words out of my mouth talking about Quentin Spain and how he had a rough day at the office uh, during that playoff game. And it's about leaving no stone unturned and bringing in as much talent as, as humanly possible to not just compete for the AFC East, but to win a playoff game run the table hopefully from there on out if, if they can, depending on what happens. And I just look at it as yep. their cap situation is, is pretty healthy. Uh, they're, they're in pretty, pretty good shape post-draft yep. uh, based on their cap situation. You look at the rookie contracts that they handed out. A.J. Epinesa was a, a true bargain second-round pick contract, uh, right. especially in comparison to Shaq Lawson, who got $30 million and departed from Buffalo. Uh, for $30 million uh, paid to him by Miami. So they have found their ways to finagle saving money while acquiring talent. And this would be a way to acquire talent, I think, based on how this player can play um, on the cheap. You know, you're not long-term obligated. You're, you're only paying him $7 million for, for one year if, if he were to accept that, or even let's just say $8 million for one year. Um, it's a short-term agreement for 2020 all in, you know, the, the circumstances have completely favored Buffalo. And I, I did a show uh, this past week where I, I represented the bills as a bills quote unquote analyst. And the entire panel was um, the AFC East panel, you know, dolphins uh, analyst, jets analyst and Patriots analyst. And they even came to the conclusion that Buffalo is favored to, to win this division, not just because of the Vegas sports books, but because of how Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have built this team. And in order to, to bridge the gap and to really put themselves in, in terms of uh, dominance of Patriots territory, 
the way they dominated the AFC the last few years, 20 years in particular, um, they need to just leave no stone unturned. And this is, for me, it's, it's more than just the Warford move. Let's really look at free agency and, and find every position that we could possibly upgrade on with a, with a veteran player. And I saw Logan Ryan got picked up by the Jets. He was yep. somebody that I was interested in. Um, but, yeah, the moves like that are the difference between a playoff caliber team and a winning team in the playoffs. It, it sure is. And, I mean, the, the cap is, like you mentioned, is, is really healthy. I mean, you know, I'm a cap guy. We can – kind of maybe do a cap show when we need to do some shows here in a couple of weeks or maybe in June, we can get into it a little bit deeper, but the bills are about 19 million to the good. That's paying off everybody. Um, this team is not up against it. Um, they're going to roll in 19 million into next year and they already had, you know, call it another 20 million uh, of cap space next year anyways. So you get to roll that in. So this team and this, this roster gets to roll in um, that extra money. So you're talking about 31 million of cap space next year, plus the 19. You're at 50 million of cap space uh, for 2021. You got to sign Dawkins, yeah. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna have to pay him um, some money, but not you don't pay that all in one year. I mean, you're able to maneuver it and be flexible based on when other contracts come off the books. So you can always, as long as you're not don't have really bad contracts, Ryan, you can always be in good shape. And thus, it's time to invest another four million dollars into a starting guard. That's if you don't want to lock them up long term and say have a guy for another couple of years match the Spain deal, um, and now all right. of a sudden you have your guards locked up, you have your center locked up, you lock up Dawkins next year, and you have your guard, uh, your, excuse me, your other tackle on a rookie contract. Uh, you have your line locked up long term. Um, Feliciano falls off next year. Long falls off next year, anyways. Um, I mean, I, to me, I think it's a no brainer. I think you bring him in, you can lock up the continuity piece. Everyone's like, oh, the continuity of Feliciano. And Feliciano played good. He played well out of his contract to me. Um, but this upgrade, um, Warford's a pro. He'll be continued with the other four guys pretty quickly. Uh, I think it's a pretty much a no-brainer, and the Bills are in a really healthy spot. This roster gets $50 million next year. Yes, they have to sign Dawkins, um, do something with Trey right. White, but they don't have to. Trey White is guaranteed contract next year, um, so right. they can – really postpone it until the following year but still the, the 50 million is accounting for 10 million of trey white already so even if he gets another five fine um or whatever it's going to be but it's already that 50 million is accounting for 10 million um that you're going to owe trey white 10.2 so um most of the time teams are going to say yeah i'll sign you long term but you're going to stay at the 10.2 million this year because that's what we have you for that's our benefit your benefit will be you'll get the extra four years you know to follow um if right. you sign sign today. So the bills are really in a good spot with white. They're going to have to pay Dawkins. Um, but it's, it's fine. Like, I mean, I think they're in great shape. It leads them in good positions to do stuff with Warford. Um, I just, the guy won't play here. That's one thing I can't, you know, you can't make him. I don't see why he wouldn't. Um, you know, if he gets picked between the bills, the jets and the bears or something, I mean, I think it's a pretty much a no brainer for the most competitive 2020 team. Um, so yeah, Ryan, I think that that's, um, I mean, I think that's a good place to, and we'll get into more cap stuff in future shows too, if you guys find it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, as far as some of the tidbits of what you said, um, you know, to, to add on to that, it really just goes to show you how Brandon Bean has completely revitalized and reshaped the bills. I mean, he's done it by structuring contracts that are the most beneficial ways to the Buffalo Bills. And it sounds vague and it sounds like common right. sense, but Buffalo has not always had that. And that's what put them in the position of Brandon 
Bean coming in and, and having to do that, having to take some take on some dead money, move some assets to get some picks, um, and, and make some structured deals that are beneficial in the short term uh, for for the Buffalo Bills and for the long term. So um, I look at I look at that and I say, why not? Uh, I look at a lot of free agents actually, and just from a competition standpoint. Uh, bringing in another corner and a keep to leave or bringing in a, a veteran type player to, to compete. Um, I don't see anything wrong with that. I think that that is really what the NFL is all about. Um, trying to find the best competition for, for the weaker positions on your roster, or even not necessarily the weaker positions, but just adding experience um, in certain situations. So I look forward to seeing what happens with that. And I know a lot of saints writers were not too pleased that Warford was just cut. Uh, they were shocked by it and, and yeah. didn't really see it coming. So um, that's one of those guys that just gets cut, you know, post-draft, and we'll see what happens. But, you know, to kind of harken back to Brandon Bean and, and some of the moves that he made, in particular Sean McDermott, um, there was an article that was put out by Tyler Dunn of Bleacher Report, and, and Tyler's a good buddy of mine. I've, I've known him for a long time, and uh, he always does very good, what I like to call investigative sports journalism. Um, and he gets a kick out of that when I, when I tell him that, but I, I really look at his articles as investigative because I always learn something new or something that, uh, slipped through the cracks back then that is re, uh, envisioned and, and brought back to light by Tyler's articles. Um, he put out an article on Sammy Watkins and some of the trials and tribulations that he went through as a member of the bills and things that he didn't do right. And things that ended his bills career the way that it did. And, uh, Sean McDermott coming in and how that changed, how that impacted his career with Buffalo. Um, what was your take on the entire kind of layout of some of the things that Sammy Watkins, you know, admitted that he, that he did, you know, going out, um, ignoring the organization's advice, going out on the chip strip on Chippewa and taking his walking boot off and going for a run around the block and ignoring the Bills organization and, Ultimately, Sean McDermott comes into the town and says, uh, you better shape up or, or we're going to ship you out. And ultimately, they shipped him out. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's not ideal what happened, I'll be honest. Like, it speaks volumes to that Whaley-Ryan culture. Um, right. I mean, Doug Whaley thought, saw the talent. And unfortunately, for how loaded the, the Darius class was and how loaded the Watkins class was, they kind of got the short end of the stick. Both were good players in their – when they were good and Watkins is still good. Darius is a free agent. Um, it's challenging. I mean, it's challenging to read that and basically it comes down to this. Yes. The player was immature, but the te- he didn't take the team seriously. He didn't take the position seriously. He said, well, even if I go for 1500 yards, going to be seven and nine, like it, it, eight right. and eight, like what, 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 yeah, we're going to beat the jets again. Like what does it matter? Passes from Kyle Orton and EJ Manuel. <laughs> you know, right. So that puts things in perspective. Yeah, Tyrod Taylor, and yeah, right. and and yeah, I mean, and you and you begin to see that that the players just like, well, I care about myself. I'm going to do what I want because, quite frankly, this team's not competitive. Sean McDermott came to town, saw some of that toward the tail end, and was like, we can get a second round pick for this guy. Let's let's just do it today. And I would I would believe many or most would say that that was a good value, was a good trade. The Cordy Glenn was a good trade. Uh, I think everybody is. Um, in good shape um, with the trades that they made. I mean, the Bills really haven't made a bad trade. I can't really think of one. You can say they like traded up a little bit too much to get Zay Jones. Like they yep. traded up to get Dawson Knox. They yep. traded up to get 
a, a, a good player in Dawkins. Like, yeah, they, they made a little bit of aggressive move um, to get to get Zay, but Cody Ford was another trade up. Um, and Josh Allen. So if you don't like Josh Allen, sure, you can blame the regime. But every trade that they've made between Cordy Glenn of, of trading players or trading four players has worked out for this team, except Calvin Benjamin. They, they saw a move that was like, you know, or trade a, a late third round pick for potentially a wide receiver one wasn't a huge risk in my opinion and got a second back for Watkins earlier that year um right. who was you know a, a good player but you know didn't really do much I mean he's shown flashes right. he's been better in Kansas City um but I think the most interesting part of this whole thing was Ty um basically saying um that he would have came back to the Bills the Bills showed interest in him they did reach out to to him about playing in Buffalo presumably pre digs you would assume right um or i it doesn't really say at what point that communications happened yeah it so. could have been after the rams because he was a free agent you know they, they traded him to the rams and then the rams let him go and you know kansas city made him a big offer well he, he said making... this off season this off season. oh was this off season? Yeah. Oh, okay okay yeah, so i'm, I'm saying that. i don't know if they yeah. reached out february march april like right. it doesn't say pre-digs um, right. I guess would be more what I was getting at, or I, I do believe he was probably one of their premier backup options, him and Emmanuel Sanders, um, who was also the Bills kind of left high and dry after they traded for Diggs. But the quote is, yep. um, he said the Bills were interested. He had been talking to the Bills about coming back here before they traded for Stefan Diggs. I texted him and I was like, could you make this work? with a coach who you obviously didn't jive with in 2017. He said, absolutely. Uh, that's the place he's at in life. In his words, dealing with all the energies and uh, entities in his life, he would have made it work, end quote. Um, so uh, he ultimately restructured his contract for a year, one for $7 million in Kansas City. Um, the Bills obviously went the Diggs route. How much? I think the, the 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 best thing we can wrap it up with, Ryan, is how much better is Diggs than Watkins on a one for seven? Um, keeping your draft picks, presumably, you know, the Bills traded a one, five, six, and a future four. Um, presumably, maybe only trading one of those picks, maybe the four, maybe the three. Um, do you think that Diggs is three picks better? Um, presumably, the Bills would have been able to keep their first pick. Would they have kept? Would they have drafted? Epinesa anyways at that pick I don't know I'm possibly I don't know that they would have though because Bean said he had a lot of favorites that ended up going early in the second round um and toward the tail end of the first tough to know um who those guys would have been yeah it's it's very tough because that would have changed the whole dynamic of their offseason you know and I'm not one to say that I'm a massive fan of trading four draft picks for a player. I agree. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't really championing, you know, a champion, I should say, or campaigning for them to trade four draft picks for Stefan Diggs. And when they did it, I thought, well, you know, they traded the picks they paid for the receiver that they wanted, that they wanted dating back to, to last year. Um, how much better is Sammy Watkins than, than Diggs, you know, trading one pick for, for Watkins or four picks for Diggs. I guess it comes down to just the fear of Watkins and his uh, lack of durability. You know, even in Kansas City, there was the biggest play, I think, of his Chiefs career was in that AFC Championship game against New England. Pat Mahomes found him down the sideline, and he tripped his way to the two- or or three-yard line and pulled something in his hamstring. I mean, this guy just – 
I think it, it, it was touched on in that article. The accountability was not, um, was not asked of him when he was in Buffalo right. due to the fact that Rex Ryan is, is considered a player's coach. I remember back when Rex Ryan was on hard knocks with that Jets team, he made jokes about how uh, certain players showed up overweight and he said that they were on his level, you know, making jokes at himself, um, you know, things like that. And, you know, maybe when Sean McDermott came in, that was the first coach to ever tell Sammy Watkins that he needed to be accountable for his actions and his preparation. And that's probably why it didn't jive well. And maybe Sammy Watkins was just too immature at that time to where, you know, he knew that the Bills are willing to give him another shot um, under the same coach in, in McDermott. He said to himself, well, I've learned from my mistakes when I was there once before. I'll come back and, and be a better version of myself. But then there's these interviews that he had leading up to the Super Bowl where he said that if the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, he was going to take a year off. So I think that Sammy Watkins is just one of those players that I, I, I doubt his love for the game. Um, I doubt his passion for the game. It was almost as if as soon as he had those rough years in Buffalo, albeit some of it was out of his uh, yep. hands and some of it was under his control, um, post-Buffalo, he really wanted to go to a team where he didn't have to be the guy. He didn't have to be the the focal point of the offense. He was able to blend in with Andy Reid's solid offense, one of the best offenses of, of this generation, um, whether it was in Philly or now in Kansas City. He gets to take a backseat to Tyree Kill, to Travis Kelsey, and to obviously the biggest superstar in the game, Pat Mahomes. And at that time, uh, if my memory serves me right, Kareem Hunt was still on the team. So, um, you know, he, I, I just doubt his his love for the game at that at that point, um, coming from Buffalo to the Rams and kind of picking Kansas City. I felt like it was a match made in heaven for Kansas City to have interest in him and for him to go there. It really helped him in his career. And I don't know if I'd be able to say the same thing if he were to come back to Buffalo, even under this regime. Um, sometimes players are a fit one place and, and sometimes they're not in another place. Yeah. And to put it into perspective, Watkins did have a really good postseason going for 14 catches for 288 yards and a touchdown um, going over 76 yards in each game, 114 in the AFC championship game, uh, 198 yards in um, the Super Bowl. Um, he played really good football right. toward the end of the year. Um, I mean, at the end of the day in similar games, Diggs played a few less, but um, Watkins is 4,200 yards. Diggs is 4,600 um, both, uh, Sammy has 31 touchdowns. Diggs is 30, um, 12.7 yards per catch for Diggs. He's made a few more catches in his career. Um, um, and Watkins is a little bigger play quote unquote with 14.9 yards per reception. Um, so there's not a ton of differentiating factors. I'm sure you, you can point to the work ethic, but Diggs has kind of had his little thing too in Minnesota, not liking Kirk Cousins right. and complaining. And um, no, I don't care about any of that. I don't, don't mistake right. me. Um, but I also don't know how much I care about Watkins thing under Rex Ryan um, either. Right. So on bad football teams. So um, I think that Diggs is better. Is he a first four five and a six better? I don't think so, Ryan. Um, I don't think yeah. you're going to convince me of that. Do the bills have the more, uh, right. Um, active player, yes. Do they have the more healthy player? Yes. Headspace player, yes. Um, but does Diggs and a Diggs trading for a third, and and then having your first, fourth, fifth, and sixth back? It's tough for me to see the value there. The Bills did pay a lot. So the biggest problem I have with the Diggs trade is they 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 paid too much. I I I do believe that. 
Um, But they got the guy that they wanted. Presumably New England was supposed to be in on this. I don't know if it was Washington or who else drove up this price. Um, But for – uh, for um, Hopkins going for a second and other receivers precedents going for um, just one pick. Um, I do, I do think that, that it was an expensive move um, for the bills and one where they felt a lot more comfortable trading four picks than they did possibly only trading one third or fourth or whatever for Sammy Watkins. Um, so I think that I those, think- those are interesting points. Yeah, I think too, like just to put it in perspective of, uh, you know, it, let's just say they did make that trade and they brought Sammy Watkins back to Buffalo. Um, I think a lot of fans, even with the cheap trade cost, I could hear the Weiner line on WGR rolling in my head right now. I mean, I could hear fans saying, oh, he, he wasn't good when he was here last time. And he, he you know, made statements that he shouldn't have made and, and said things that he shouldn't have said. And we don't think he's a good fit where with the Stefan Diggs move, it's like, he's so new, you know, it was um, a, a, an expensive price that, that I believe if anybody drove it up outside of New England and Washington, it was actually Minnesota themselves because they could have traded him sooner than they did. And they said, no, we're, we're letting him play this full season. His stats are going to be his stats. And then we'll negotiate possibly uh, to trade him. If he's still unsatisfied playing with Kirk and that's what they did. I mean, Buffalo's need for a wide receiver one was so glaring that I think competition-wise in a, in a trade, trying to compete to trade for a player, Buffalo pretty much always has to trade more than, than what, let's just say, New England or, or uh, and, you know, another team would. And I guess I'll interrupt to say um, Sal Capaccio just got a quote from Brandon Bean on this as breaking as we're uh, recording the – Brandon Bean quotes, that's 100% false. We never spoke to Sammy or any of his representation about trading for him, secondly. So uh, and for what it's worth, um, that's out there. So between Ty right. and Sammy and Sal Capaccio getting a quote from Brandon, either doing damage control and or it being straight false. Um, so either if it's 100% false as Bean quotes, um, that's interesting to say the player or the reporter's lying. Secondly, we never discussed him with anyone in our building that matters. End of discussion. So that's interesting. Wow. I don't know if McDermott reached I've out and said, heard... how you doing, Sammy, or something? And that yeah. was mis- misconstrued. But I've um, never heard Brandon Bean deny a report that quickly that emotionally. Before. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's interesting. I've heard Kim Pagula or the Pagulas like through John Warrow, like saying, no, that's false. Like we didn't, you know, do this with the society or that with the culture or whatever. Um, I've never heard the team general manager coming out. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, you got both sides of the story there or this podcast. You tell me if you think that there's something there or you think that the reporter and or player lied blatantly. Um, But then there was, I don't, Ryan, yeah. it goes back to: Do you believe the team was interested in Melvin Gordon? The 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 I believe nice. the Broncos beat reporter came out and said the Bills were the other team that drove the price up on us, and then Bean came out and did say that that was false. So now we're getting into a couple scenarios to where maybe Bean's doing some damage control. Um, as more of these come, like so, either the Denver reporter's lying, Ty Dunn's lying, or Bean saying like. Um, this doesn't need to get out there. This guy's crazy. You know, we don't want people to know what our internal discussions were. Um, I don't know. The whole thing's interesting. Big Brandon Bean supporter here, though, I should say that. But Oh, yeah. 
hundred percent. That's the guy that's, that's responsible for, for what I, I would say the GM and, and coach are working in unison for the first time in Buffalo in, in 30 years. So since Ralph Wilson let Bill Polian walk out the door. <laughs> so, uh, you know, tough, it's, it's tough to know if, uh, tough to know. Yeah, there's, it is there's, tough. Two sides of every story, and then there's the truth. So maybe right. maybe McDermott reached out, and it was misconstrued as being interested. Um, Usually maybe, the truth is in the middle of that. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, um, I, I look forward to – Maybe they had an assistant though. general manager or somebody in the building reach out to him to do their due diligence prior to presenting something to Bean. Um like it doesn't mean that Brandon Bean was the one that said we're trading for Sammy Watkins. It could have been someone else doing their due diligence. And then if Diggs didn't go through saying, Hey, Sammy's good, let's go entertain giving a third to KC. That's all that could mean. It doesn't, it didn't say the general manager 100% reached out to, 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 to Sammy Watkins and they were into deep into trade talks. It just says someone wow. um, was interested in the, in him. So it could have been just a scout. It could have been some VP. It could have been Shane. It could have been gain. Um, right. It could have been McDermott. Or um, Dan Morgan. Dan Morgan, somebody. sure. Yeah. It could have right. been a multitude of players and maybe never reached Bean. So I do think that there's some middle ground to this, someone doing their due diligence prior to um, it getting up to Bean as a real, real number one option. But it, Bean probably didn't entertain it because he traded for Diggs. Um, right. And maybe he would have if he didn't. These teams have contingency plans and five to six really important staff members for saying that they declined the Diggs deal. They need to go to option two and three right away. Right. Yeah, Emmanuel Sanders was one of them. You know, they, they had contingency plans even, you know, in the draft. If, if they didn't get Diggs, there were reports that they were interested in my guy, Chase Claypool, and, and a few right. others. So T. Higgins and a few others. So you know, you never really know. And, and mainly, you know, to wrap this up, I, I would definitely say that the article itself was just a culture shock. It, it just, uh, you know, in terms of recent Bill's history, uh, prior to Brandon Bean and, and Sean McDermott coming on board, the Doug Whaley move to, to trade the first in, in the 2015 draft to move up five spots from nine to four to take Sammy Watkins in a loaded wide receiver class Right. Just kind of shows you the the ineptitude of the regime at the time and the ineptitude of, of the culture. Uh, once Sammy Watkins got here, the uncertainty of the quarterback, the uncertainty of the coach with, with Marone and, and Rex Ryan, it just it was a mess. Right. Um, no, it sure was. They had some, some rock-steady presence in the organization like Sean McDermott I think that's when Sammy Watkins and, and, you know, Sammy Watkins even admitted in the article, he realized that it wasn't going to work out. He was almost accustomed to the dysfunction. And once there was some uh, structure, that's when the structure recognized that, Hey, we, we got a nail in the haystack and a needle in the haystack and uh, we need to get him out of here. And that's what they did. And, you know, I, I wish Sammy Watkins the best. I think, you know, he's a, he's a piece on the best offense that the national football league has to offer um, wish him the best, but, you know, moving on. And, and obviously uh, that was a big decision that put the bills where they are today. Yep. And uh, it's interesting that nonetheless, we don't, you know, we'll see what happens. And once again, Bean was adamant saying we never talked to him. So he is speaking on behalf of, of his front office. Um, so I guess we will never know if there was serious consideration considerations for him, but um it is it is 
pretty pretty interesting that the player said that via report from the reporter uh, Ty Dunn. So I, don't, I obviously Ty didn't make anything up because he's just reporting what the player said. Um, right, right. So which is interesting. I don't know why the player would lie in this scenario or make that up, but I guess he does think he's an alien. So yeah, uh, there was a lot of weirdness to that article. And I, you know, these guys, they do have these really, uh, what's the right word for it? These internal relationships with the team that drafted them. And I'm sure it was the biggest ego check of Sammy Watkins pro football career to be traded from the Bills. The, the, the Bills were so bad, and he was arguably their most talented player, and they traded him away for just a second-round pick after they went up and got him. So it was probably just a big ego check, and, and maybe, you know, maybe Sammy Watkins is kind of like the guy that, uh, you know, gets dumped in high school and, and wants to rekindle the romance with his old girlfriend. You know, maybe you never know. You never know. Right, yeah, <laughs> and um, also... Prince of Mukamara just signing um, now um, with the Oakland or Las Vegas Raiders. Um, so two cornerback oh, wow. pieces, actually. They, teams are waiting for that Logan Ryan deal, and now all the cornerback deals are coming uh, fast and furious. So that's another cornerback signing, but proof that there are times now to strike on these free agents um, to the Warford News. Um, yeah, so. and, and definitely, you know, given the circumstances, these veteran players could, could come in and, and be a factor right away with the uncertainty of, of training camp and OTAs and training camp in particular. And, and now, yeah, get the playbook, learn virtually. Yeah. Um, coming right. in in August is going to be a lot different than you're able to in the past um, of of being able to come in and and, and wait. Um, um for for these moves to happen so i do think you'll see some moves um happen in that may june 1st date that used to be important i think that you will see that um happen now some of these names are going to come in and need to get a get 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 ahead when they didn't have to but the good thing is they can sit at home and learn the playbook it's not like they need to go and do anything physical so i think you'll see more signings in other words and not necessarily in mid-august like you may have seen maybe it'll entice some trading to happen i don't know but uh yeah i mean Totally an action-packed show today here, Ryan. Yeah, totally an action-packed show today, and and that about wraps it up. I mean, we went over the NFL schedule for the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Bills schedule in 2020, um, kind of threw out a little bit of a record prediction. I think they have to go 11-5 and five to, to take the AFC East. I'm going to give the Patriots a, a little bit of a benefit of the doubt in the fact that they lost Tom Brady, but – that defense is still really good. Might even be better depending on some of the additions they made in, in the draft and how those factor in as well as um, the fact that the Jets are getting better. Miami's getting a little bit better with this youth movement that they'll have and, and everything in between, you know, so the, the schedule we dove into, uh, we talked about some, some possible additions for the Buffalo yep. Bills and Larry Warford uh, as well as the Sammy Watkins article, a very interesting article to say the least. And, for myself, Ryan Thomas, um, that was Kevin Masari on the cap, the Crowd Assist podcast presented by Trainwreck Sports. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody, and be sure to tune in next week as Kevin and I dive into more Buffalo Bill storylines.